Hello. Welcome to Tough Topics, conversations where faith and politics collide. My name is Paige Safaletti, and I'm so glad you have found this corner of the internet where my friend Lydia and I are talking about matters of politics and faith. This week, we're diving into the subject of what it looks like to love our neighbor. Oftentimes, Christians use this phrase, but we end up meaning very different things by it. And so before we dive into our topical conversations on things like race and wealth and women's equality, we wanted to level set with this conversation. We think it's important and we really hope you enjoy. A couple of notes about the episode. We record these via Zoom from our homes, and so sometimes you hear things like dogs barking or uh, weird glitches where we, um, you know, forget something in our notes. And so thank you for bearing with us through that and through some of the audio weirdness. We're working very hard to um, make improvements and bring our very best content here to you. So uh, even though this is very low production value, We hope that you enjoy this conversation. If you prefer to see the video recording, there's actually a link to YouTube in the show notes. So if you would like to see our shining faces, you can do so there. Thank you so much for joining this conversation. We hope you enjoy. Hello, welcome to Tough Topics, conversations about how faith and politics collide. We are two women from conservative Christian background discussing our faith journeys and how the closer we got to Jesus, the more quote unquote liberal our beliefs became. These conversations represent questions and conversations we want to have, we would love to, and in some cases do have with our conservative Christian family members and brothers and sisters that go to church with us to help them understand God's working in our lives and a conversation of how we came to some of our political opinions. I'm Lydia. I'm Paige. So um, after last week's chat, we planned on going into some specific topics to discuss. Um, So this week it was actually going to be women's um, equality, but we actually felt like we needed to change it up a little bit when we were planning and that we needed to talk about something else first. So we're mixing it up a little bit, (laughs) we're pivoting, and we're actually going to talk about what it means to love our neighbor before we get into some of the specific topics that really flow out of loving our neighbor. But before we do that, we just wanted to um, pray first. And so we're using this book, Every Moment Holy, and I'm just going to read one of the prayers inside. So we will go ahead and get started. Let's see. And so we're gathered here uniquely in all of history. We particular people in a singular time and place accomplish your purposes among us. Oh God, tune our hearts to the voice of your spirit. Wake us to be present to you and to one another in these shared hours we're given for it's you, O oh Lord, who have so gathered us from various places and you alone who know our hearts and our needs. Among us are some who arrive anxious, some who are lonely, some who suffer pain or sorrow. May we in our joys find grace to enter the sorrows of others. 
Among us are some who arrive rejoicing, hearts made light by good news, good health, and glad anticipation. May we in our sorrows find grace to embrace the joys of others. Let us prize deeply these moments and care for one another. For each of us and our relationships to one another are precious and fleeting. Amen. We just wanted to start off with this prayer. Um, it's actually called um, a liturgy to begin a purposeful gathering. So I know um, people are going to be joining us from all sorts of different kinds of backgrounds and, you know, we're coming into this week in different places. And so um, thank you for allowing us that time. So this week, like I said, we're doing a pivot <laughs> and we're discussing um, what it means to love our neighbor. So often when we hear this phrase, Christians use it a lot and we're using the same words, but we're actually meaning something different. And so we just thought that it would be good um, to start here. And Lydia has some um, something creative to get us started. <laughs> So, um, yes, as Paige said, we, about Wednesday, we were doing Bible study and we just really felt led to move into, you know, talking about loving our neighbor first. We felt like that needed to be the next topic that we talked on. And it has been really interesting how this has impacted our week, how this has impacted even like the sermon that was preached this morning at our church and the things that we we saw, it just felt like the Lord was continuing to lead and continuing to say, this is the topic you need to talk about today. And so I, I want to start today by asking our listeners, if you do have a Bible, that you open it up to a very familiar passage in scripture. It's actually, oh gosh, do I not have it on here? Oh no, <laughs> Luke 10, 25 through 37. Thank you. Luke 10, 25 through 37. If you are with us and you want to treat go there. I want you to open your Bibles to this familiar passage. So familiar, we don't even know where it's found in the Bible. <laughs> um, Luke 10, and we're, I'm just going to kind of read this. Um, you'll, you'll see what happens when, when we get to, to it. And it starts off saying, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, me being Jesus, said, what's written in the law? How do you understand it? And now just to clarify, a lawyer back then wasn't someone who went to court and did this. They were actually, he was somebody who studied the law and determined what the law meant and how to practically apply it in, in their lives. The law of God, basically. <clears throat> yes. And so this lawyer answers and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you got it. You know, you answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He's being a little snarky here. And a lot like us sometimes. <laughs> and Jesus replied, <laughs> and there was a man who through a series of unfortunate events lost his job and his house and his money. And he was sitting by the side of the road in the freezing rain holding a cardboard sign begging because he had nowhere else to go. Now by chance, an evangelical pastor was going down that same road. And when he saw him, he looked the other way quickly and just kept right on driving. And also there was a conservative Christian politician 
when he came to that place and saw him, he also looked the other way and kept right on driving. But there was a homosexual who was on his way to a gay pride event and came where he was and he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and gave him a coat, bought him some food and drink, put him in his car and took him to a hotel where he took out his credit card and paid for the man's room and told him to stay as long as he needed to get back on his feet. And then the very next day, he went to city council and started a petition to provide shelter for the homeless man and others like him. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the homeless man? He said, and the lawyer answered, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. Now, if you're reading along in your Bible, you notice that we made a few tiny changes to this story. And that may have shocked. Is that the or... King James version, Lydia? <laughs> Was that the KJV? <laughs> I think that's the Lydia version. <laughs> the, the reason <laughs> the, it, it may have shocked and appalled you. Like, it, it may have been like, it, I'm hoping it actually did. The, these changes were intentional. They were meant to provoke a reaction. And the reason for that is, is that this, when Jesus originally told this story, it was meant to provoke a reaction. The problem is, is that we, Paige and I, and everybody watching this, we don't live in first century Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. We don't have that same connection to the word Samaritan the way they did. We don't have that same connection to the word you know, the Pharisee or the Levite. We don't, we don't have those same connections to those words. And so for me, I felt it was important to read it in this way to hopefully give our friends who are listening a, a view of what it would have sounded like if Jesus had told that story in modern terms. Now, mm -hmm. you know, Jesus didn't consider Samaritans to be bad people or anything like that. But mm -hmm. the religious crowd of that day did have a certain connotation when you talked about Samaritans. They were yeah. less than. And I am mm -hmm. not in any way, shape, or form saying that homosexuals are less than or that they're not mm -hmm. equal people. I want to be very clear on that. Yeah. I mean, because I don't want to give the wrong people. message. But yeah. to conservative Christians yeah. living here in the Bible Belt, that is a very they have very stigmatized group. stigmatized work and i samaritans were work. stigmatized and oftentimes you know queer folks are also stigmatized right and so the point that jesus was trying to make with this this um this story and the hope that our little story portrays is that anyone in need is our neighbor and we should be ashamed that those who we deem non-religious or stigmatized or less than are often doing a better job of fulfilling the law in loving our neighbors than we do as Christians mm -hmm. because we are given the law we are given this knowledge and we are supposed to be acting on it and we aren't Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so that kind of leads into what we're going to talk about and our questions. And I kind of hope that gets you your brain thinking today about how this 
how how are you loving your neighbor and how are you applying this scripture to your life? Yeah, I love that. Um, I think there's so much about the Good Samaritan story that we're going to continue to talk about today. I know I've drawn, you know, several lines through some of the questions that we're going to ask. So I'm excited. Yeah. That being said, let's get started. Yay. So um, if you were to describe your just initial thoughts and views on what it looks like to love your neighbor, what would those be and how have those views changed over time? Um, so for me, I think early on my questions and my thoughts around loving my neighbor were very much like the lawyer in the passage that we just read. Mm. Like I was putting my neighbors into boxes justifying you know which groups i thought were worthy of assistance which groups i could work with because you know were they allowing certain people to work in that group that weren't you know didn't fit our degree were they presenting the gospel appropriately you know do yeah. we work with that group or not with that group do we work you know all of those things and kind of doing that um, did they let anyone stay there regardless of their beliefs or sexuality, you know, yeah. you know, very much limiting the, it was a very narrow view. There's also the view of, well, how are they going to use whatever mm -hmm. assistance I provide them, yeah. you know, and, and just really not putting people in boxes, honestly, and trying to define who my neighbor is and who is worthy of my my um, assistance. And I think over time, listening to people who have been in those situations and who have been unfortunate, you know, and have had to go through certain programs and certain things, um, I have actually done a almost a complete 80 from, from where I was before, a complete 180 from there. And to what I believe now, I'm actually less likely to work with groups that make their assistant contingent on mm -hmm. participating in some sort of religious service or have restrictions on who they're going to help because I really feel like you know our love has to be unconditional if we are going to work with and show them the love of Jesus we have to do that in a way that is completely unconditional I think the biggest area where I have seen change is in how I vote. So I used to vote yeah. strictly against any type of, you know, bailouts or assistance or government, you know, plans and stuff. And now mm -hmm. I'm seeing that as a way to multiply my talent. And I know we've talked a little bit about this the other day about yeah. the, the story of the talents and how God gives us something and he wants us to grow that and mm -hmm. the in a way for my impact to have the most reach is to vote for people who encourage policies that are going to support the poor the needy the homeless the foreigners in our communities and mm -hmm. i've started seeing that as a way of doing it of course you know this doesn't take away my own individual responsibility if yeah. I see my neighbor having a hard time reaching out helping you know mm -hmm. whether that's mowing the grass or painting a fence helping care for a baby you know any mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. that taking food to someone 
handing yeah. out homeless packets to those homeless. I mean, that's still something that we have a personal responsibility for, but I think we also have that bigger reach responsibility in that we need to put people in place that are going to help that. Um, so how about you, Paige? How has your vision shifted and changed from what you, how you used to view loving your neighbor and what you used to think that meant to what you think it means today? Yeah. So first, um, like this is a command, right? This isn't like an option. Right. So in the story of the Good Samaritan, like this expert of the Jewish law, like they, Jesus even says like the greatest commandment, okay, loving your neighbor. Well, who is my neighbor? So it's a command in Mark, you see as well, Jesus, you know, giving us the greatest commandment again, um, the most important one Jesus answered is this here, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one love the Lord, your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. The second is this love your neighbor as yourself. Those there is no commandment greater than these. And so these passages tell us like loving God and loving our neighbor is the greatest commandment. <laughs> and in Matthew 25, it says that one of the ways that we do love God is by loving our neighbor, right? So the, the sheep and the goats, like part of that is that we love Jesus by caring for the least of these, like what we do to the least of these, it's as though we're doing it to Christ. And so mm. loving God is loving our neighbor, mm. loving our neighbor is loving God. They aren't separate things. This mm -hmm. is the greatest commandment. It isn't two, <laughs> it is the greatest commandment. And so I think understanding that like, this isn't an option. This is not an elective. This is, this is the thing. Loving our neighbor is the thing. Mm -hmm. And so for me, like this commandment causes me to constantly be evaluating two questions that I will kind of come back to in our conversation what is love and who is my neighbor? And I mean, we see over and over in scripture. I mean, there are a couple of times in the gospels where the question is asked like, okay, well, what is loving our neighbor? There are several times in the gospel where Jesus talks about what love is. We have a whole chapter about it from Paul. And so because we use these words, but we don't talk about what they mean. We just say, well, go and love your neighbor. Oh, okay got it. What does that, like, what does that mean? <laughs> if we don't critically evaluate it, we can be missing the whole entire point. And I think I was <laughs> missing the whole entire point for a while because I used to think that loving my neighbor was exclusively about sharing quote unquote, the gospel with them. And what I meant by the gospel was very, very small. And it basically meant like loving my neighbor is explaining to them and like showing them how, how they can be saved from hell. Mm -hmm. Like it was very, I love my neighbors by telling them how they get to escape hell. 
And that progressed into more of a, oh, it's not just about escaping hell, but really it still really was. Mm-hmm. And so it would be like distilled down to sharing the four spiritual laws, you know, which I'm not opposed to. Like, I, I, don't, I don't think they're wrong, but um, for anybody who doesn't know what that is, it's essentially very oversimplified. Um, like God created you to have a relationship with him because of sin, we're separated from God because of what Jesus did in his life, death and resurrection. Um, we have access to have relationship with God again. If we make God, um, the, or Jesus, the King of our our lives, we can be reconciled. Like that's kind of the, you know, the, for the essence of the four spiritual laws. And it's not that I like, don't think those things are true because I do, but when I, some loving my neighbor up to sharing the gospel in this one very specific way, it leaves out, in my opinion, 99% of what Jesus actually says loving my neighbor is. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) yeah, that's a really good point. (laughs) Yeah. What what does love mean? (laughs) Right. And so like, I was just, I mean, we like to simplify everything. That was the point of the four spiritual laws. That was the point of a lot of what we did in Christianity in the 20th century. How do we take it and make it so simple? And that isn't entirely bad because simplicity is important. But at the same time, when you have simplicity, but it's not just simplistic, it's reductionist, in my opinion, it's, we separate our, like what is spiritual and what is physical. And we say, the only thing that matters is what is spiritual. That isn't just simple. That's subtracting a lot of what Jesus actually talked about. Uh And so I had to wrestle with that because, (laughs) because that is, is what I thought, like loving my neighbor is caring about their eternal soul and whether or not it ends up in heaven or hell. And in my opinion, those beliefs of mine were closer to a Gnostic heresy than what Jesus actually says loving my neighbor is. And I think it was a a really big misunderstanding for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so now as I have actually like read the words of Jesus more and more, I see that like most of what he talks about, and I'll share more about this is caring for the hurting and caring for the oppressed and using my power for people who have less than I do. And so Jesus also talks a lot about love looking like real, physical, practical help as well as spiritual care. Mm -hmm. And so that is um, kind of that integration, like how do we care for a person's soul and how do we care for a person's wholeness, their physicality? Right. Um, because right. I really had segregated the two and only cared about the soul. Mm-hmm. I, I had a lot of that going on too. Like where the, the most important thing is that we give them a track, you know, with the Bible on it. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Bible verses must have mm-hmm. Bible verses. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think we should use um, every opportunity to give the gospel to people 
when that opportunity arises. I think a lot of times as Christians, we tend to try and force an opportunity where none exists and God wants us to form a relationship with it, with whoever we're working with first. And you can't form that relationship without love. You can't I also, form, oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, you can't form that relationship without love and without caring mm-hmm. in many cases for their physical needs. Like James says, if you tell them to go eat and be filled, but you don't provide them with the things they need, what good is that? And how does that yeah. help them? And so I think that's more of a, uh, you know, thing that we need to look at and see like how God really wants us to, to implement this, you know, that it's yeah. not just about, you know, giving them the gospel, like, you know, I've got an, I've got this person here, so I must give them the gospel type of thing. Yeah. I think too many times we've, we've made forced opportunities that wasn't ready and pushed people further away because we mm-hmm. tried to force that instead of making, allowing a relationship to grow naturally. Sorry, I also kind of took a, went on a rabbit trail there. <laughs> no, that's good. I, it leads into something that I was thinking. I also just think that like the gospel isn't, isn't just the four spiritual laws. Like the gospel is you are hungry and I fed you. Mm-hmm. Like that yeah. is the gospel too. It isn't right. I think sometimes we just say that like the gospel is only answering the question, well, how can someone be saved? Mm-hmm. And I think it is, but it's also like Jesus is king. Like the gospel ultimately means Jesus is king. And when mm-hmm. Jesus is king, that means that we care for the poor here. That mm-hmm. also means we get to be united with God again. <laughs> that right. also means like it, it we take the gospel and like distill it into something that, you know, and we say, well, okay, sharing the gospel is only telling a person how they can be, how their soul can be saved. Mm-hmm. But I think Jesus being King, how does, how are our communities saved? How are, you know, systems made right? <laughs> how, mm-hmm. like it is so much of what Jesus did in sharing the gospel it's initiating a kingdom and that kingdom Mm. is on earth as it is in heaven. But if we only are focused on the heaven part, we're missing so much of what the gospel actually is. Like Mm -hmm. we're missing the gospel. If we only think it is talking about saving souls for heaven, Mm -hmm. we're just missing it. Yeah. And so I think that has really challenged me is to say like, what is the gospel? Because I genuinely don't think it is only what I thought it was growing up. Mm -hmm. Like I, I really don't think it only is saving a soul. Right. I genuinely think it is like Jesus is King. That is the gospel. Mm. And what it means when Jesus is King is that we don't have starving people in our cities. Mm Mm-hmm. We also want to tell people that they personally can be reconciled to God. Like that's huge, but that's not Mm. all. And it isn't Mm. even what the Bible says is most important. Like it doesn't say that we can pull verses and make it seem like that's the only thing God cares about. 
but that's a real, in my opinion, a real mis misunderstanding and misrepresentation of what Jesus actually says. Yeah. Um, so I would totally agree with that. Um, yeah. So with that being said, that's just our introduction. Just our first <laughs> feelings. <laughs> um, it's a lot of feelings. <laughs> imagine that we have a lot of feelings. So, <laughs> um, that brings us to our next question. So Lydia, what is most important to you in the subject of loving our neighbors? Well, I think you've kind of already hit a little bit on this. And so it'll kind of go in with what you were saying in that the, I think it's super important that we realize that loving our neighbors is the way that we fulfill the law. So yeah. like you, like you mentioned how Jesus pointed out that it is, you know, the way we love God is by loving our neighbor is mm -hmm. by, you know, doing things for them. You know, we can look at, um, but in both the old and the new Testament, it's really, mm -hmm. really clear that that's worship of God is connected to caring for the neighbor. If you look at Deuteronomy 26, 12, for example, where it's talking about the tithe, the tithe mm -hmm. was actually used, was not taken to the temple in Jerusalem. It was used to create a feast and to create a, if you will, a food pantry for three specific sets of people, mm -hmm. the poor, the Levite, and the stranger or the foreigner. So when, and it says here, when you finish setting aside a 10th of all your produce in the third year, the year of the tithe, you shall give it to the Levite, the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow. So they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. The tithe, we have to, we have to remember when we're looking at the old Testament laws and it's talking about, you know, sometimes ties and taking money to, to the temple and the different places that the temple was not only the place of worship, but it was also a place of government, their mm -hmm. government and their ruling laws. If Israel was a theocracy, America mm -hmm. is not, America is not a theocracy. We don't do, you know, we don't combine church and our religion and our government, mm -hmm. we simply have our government. So what they were doing was they were essentially taxing, paying a tax, paying 10% of what they had made in that year to go towards the upkeep of the Levite who were, who were not given an inheritance. They were not given a way to provide for themselves. They simply were there to teach God's word. So they're there they were the ministers or the people who run the government, essentially, who enforce mm -hmm. the laws of the land. Those type of people, the foreigner, so anyone who is coming into their, their city who doesn't have a place, the refugees, they, it was given to them, the orphans or fatherless, and the widows who had no one to take care of them. So back in that time, if you didn't have a husband, you were pretty much destitute you didn't have a way yeah. to go get a job and take care of yourself so either you were left on the streets to starve or someone had to take care of you and so the the point of this law the point of the law of the tithe was to care for the needy in that mm -hmm. city mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. i get a lot of pressure i get you know growing up in conservative christianity and conservative politics we get a lot of this, well, it's the church's job to take care of the poor. Well, number mm -hmm. one, the church isn't doing that job very well. Yeah. <laughs> because we put all these stipulations on it as to what we're going to allow and what we're going to, who we're going to serve. 
number one, we, you know, we put our neighbors into boxes. <laughs> and then yeah. number two, we, that's not really what the Bible says, because the Bible used mm -hmm. the government to care for the poor and enforce those laws and make sure that people, they use taxes essentially to mm -hmm. care for the poor. That was God's plan. And then, mm -hmm. you know, and then if you say, well, the Old Testament doesn't apply to us, we're under the New Testament, then we can go to James. And James says that religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained by the world. And that's in James 1.27. And when, you, when he says to visit them, he's not meaning going and sitting with them and offering your condolences the way um, mm. you, the way some people do, you know, they'll, they'll go and they'll sit and they'll be like, oh, I'm so sorry and commiserate about how awful life is, but not actually do anything. Mm -hmm. Because if you go further, and we've already touched on this one a little bit too, James 2 says, if one says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving the things that are needed for the body, what good is that? So it's not just mm -hmm. about sitting with them. It's not just about saying, oh, I'll pray for you or, you know, and it's not about making them feel bad either. I think in American mm -hmm. church, we make people feel really ashamed, whether intentionally or not, there mm -hmm. is this visceral shame about not being able to provide for your family. If your family is struggling, it is uber hard to make a request of someone for help so yeah. if somebody comes to you for help they're already in a pretty bad situation like mm -hmm. they're probably you know pretty pretty deep into a problem and need really need your help and a lot of times we tend to make them feel worse because we have this idea and it it doesn't come from the bible it comes from the puritan belief you know that hard work and mm -hmm. and those ethic and you're poor because you aren't working hard enough. yeah and so i think there's a lot that we have to have to do about it and we have a lot that we need to work on as far as how we address those matters in churches mm -hmm. how we talk about poverty in churches how we talk about the wealthy um mm -hmm. i saw an article this week that was actually talking how having accumulating wealth is immoral. And I have to say it, it just has a, I have a visceral reaction to that because of how I was raised. I completely mm -hmm. agreed with everything the article said, yeah. but there is a reaction that we as Americans have to the idea that wealth could be wrong. Well, because- What are you telling me? I can't yeah save all my money and do what i want with it and buy a bugatti and you know do those things you know that's I what i it. yeah i should get to keep it mm -hmm. you know and that's not how god god envisioned our world to be and i think it's really sad that we're as as a christian quote-unquote christian nation um we're one of the most wealthy nations in the world and yet we have to be forced to ensure that our workers are paid fair wages that they can actually live on and i know this is a big topic right now because of minimum wage laws and the thought of yeah. upping the minimum wage 
and everything, but I have come to the determination that that is really greed on our part, on Christians' parts, that we don't want to pay a better wage. We feel like we deserve as a, and I'm a business owner. So, you know, I, I wrestle with this as well, but I try to make sure that mm -hmm. I'm paying a fair wage for what we do. And then, you know, and that the homeless are taken care of. I mean, in our mm -hmm. own city, we've had this recently where, you know, the homeless have no place to go, really. There's literally no place Genuinely. For, genuinely no place It's for illegal to, to be homeless in this city. They can't set up tents. They mm -hmm. can't find a place to shelter themselves for the night. Mm -hmm. There's no place for them to just rest. And our churches uh, even are attempting, even those that are attempting are hampered by insurance laws and other things. I know, for example, our church has tried and there's some things that it just wouldn't work for one thing. For on the other side, there weren't enough volunteers. There were three because people. To care for homeless people requires sacrifice. So like, so you're going to have to sacrifice sleep to, you know, stay at the mm -hmm. shelter. I mean, I, I'll be honest. I signed up to do that. And I mean, I work a full-time job. And so there are lots of days that I wasn't able to sign up for. And so like, I get mm -hmm. it. Like, right. I, I mean, like I, nobody's saying you have to give up your job so that you can go take yeah. care of the homeless. But at the same time, like I was willing to say like, man, I know I'm going to lose sleep on like one whole weekend day. And like, that sounds like such a big sacrifice, you know, like you make, like so many people are like, oh my gosh, I give up like one night of sleep, but there are people who are homeless. Right. They get minutes of sleep at night. <laughs> they get minutes of sleep at night because they're terrified of not waking up in the morning because they've frozen to death. Mm. And they go and work the next day because what lots and lots of our homeless people, like our homeless neighbors, a lot of them do have jobs. Right. <laughs> I think exactly. so many people assume that if you're homeless, you don't have a job, but we also make it really difficult to have housing. So like, if you have been evicted, you can't get a place to live. Mm -hmm. It's, it's nearly impossible to find mm -hmm. a place to live if you like, so, I mean, think and, about it. You lose and your if job. if you don't have family to you support get, you, it's even yeah, worse. It is. So, I mean, you know, you lose your job, you can't pay your rent, you get evicted and then you're homeless and then you have a job still because maybe, you know, by whatever reason you don't get fired. So you mm -hmm. have a job, you're trying to save up money. You, you can't, I mean, it's, it's nearly impossible to find a place that will take you after a situation like that. And so like we just put up all these barriers and then we look at homeless individuals and we're just like, we just assume awful stigmatizing things about them. We, we assume, well, they just are lazy. They, we assume mm. they're addicted. We assume they can't keep a job. We, and maybe all of those things are true for an individual. Does that still mean that they don't deserve assistance? Like, I don't see that in the gospels. I are they less worthy say, of God's love at that point? Yeah. And I don't see what... James saying, uh, care for the poor unless they're alcoholics. Do you think they didn't have alcoholics in that day? 
I believe, Very you know, true. like, so, I mean, they talks about drunkenness. So it's not mm-hmm. like it says like give to the poor unless they're homosexual, give to the poor unless they're an alcoholic, like it, give to the poor unless you've given to them before and you think they bought wine with it. Like, <laughs> right. Well, I can it remember say that. I remember, um, I was in college and we were doing a, a class on this type of subject. And we were talking about, about this. And this was kind of one of the first times that I was introduced to, you know, the other side of it and seeing Mm -hmm. those things and understanding the, the background of it, you know, and the, and the things that lead to generational poverty and the things that lead to, to those, those type of horrible situations. And I Mm -hmm. volunteered at the, um, uh, what was it called? It was uh, the kitchen when mm-hmm. it was downtown and by the Missouri hotel and just different things and kind of see, saw a lot there and learned a lot. But I can remember at that same time, I saw a former Sunday school teacher of mine make a post on Facebook about seeing a homeless man leave his shift on the corner and head to a hotel and being sarcastic and very derogatory towards it. And I, you know, commented on there and I was like, well, where else is he supposed to go? Yeah. And he couldn't answer. In this city, you can't get a motel if you're homeless because they have stopped renting rooms to homeless people. So if you live in Springfield, you cannot get a low budget motel room. Yeah. And They, they won't. This was several years ago, but it was like, it was just very, I was just like, it was like a slap in the face to me to realize that that was how he felt about this. And that Mm -hmm. this was somebody that I looked up to spiritually and I love, you know, I Mm -hmm. adored them, you know, when they, they were, they were, you know, when I was in the singles class, they were my teachers. It wasn't like when I was four or five, this was very recent that they were my teachers. And I was just so shocked and appalled by the response and I would and me saying me saying well where was he supposed to go you know kind of where what is what is your your thoughts Mm -hmm. and he was just like very derogatory very Mm -hmm. hateful about it and I was just like wow you know and I felt like that's not what God says love is and so when we start talking about you know love your neighbor love your name one it's love your neighbor as yourself Mm-hmm. how do I treat myself <laughs> you know what do I want for me and how do I treat my neighbors am I treating them the same as I would treat myself mm-hmm. number one number two love second corinthians get, or first corinthians 13 gives us a very clear definition of what loving your neighbor looks like mm-hmm. and so I think that that um that is very important for us to consider when we're considering how we're treating our neighbors. You know, Mm -hmm. are we treating them with that love? Yeah. And I I think think I forgot to ask the next question, but. (laughs) Oh, there was one thing that you said. So uh, loving your neighbor as yourself. What Mm -hmm. I hear a lot of people say is like, when we talk about, okay, but like, are you, are you loving this like oppressed person or this like struggling person the way that you would love yourself? 
when you're Mm -hmm. being critical of them and you're like refusing help and you're, well, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've said this to people and what I have heard over and over and over again from people that I know and people that I don't know online and in real conversations is, well, I wouldn't want somebody to give me handouts. I would want somebody to encourage me to work hard and you know, all the things like, I mean, I could, it's easy to say when you're not in that situation. Yeah. And then it's like, so I think that also means like, we aren't like loving our neighbor. I think sometimes we think of like, yeah, like loving my neighbor as myself. This is what I think I would want for myself if I were in that situation. Mm-hmm. I think that's oftentimes how we interpret that. And not and having so, felt that themselves and not ever having been in that situation, they lack the empathy to really understand what it's like to be there. Mm-hmm. I, yes. Yeah. And so and I so, think then that means, then that's where we need to pull back to what is love? What does the Bible yes. tell us that love is? You yes. Know. Uh-huh. Exactly. So, um, yeah. So for me, I think a lot of the scripture that I have for this question is similar to stuff that you've already said. I really wanted to just read all of James one and two and just really all of James. If we could just read, or just go read all of James, just pause mm-hmm. here, read James and then come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Honestly, James really does have a lot to say about how we treat each other and he talks about the wealthy who withhold the wages from the oh yeah we're we're gonna get there Lydia (laughs) we're gonna get there I have it oh I'm so excited so I mean James really challenges me here James challenges all of my preconceived notions of what loving my neighbor is Mm -hmm. and James tells me that what it looks like to love my neighbor is actual practical care Mm-hmm. And that that is spiritual. Yeah. And he talks a lot about faith and works. I and I think I like to think of that as like spiritual and physical, right? Like mm-hmm. faith and works, spiritual, physical. And so in lieu of reading all of James, I'm mm-hmm. I have selected several passages that I would like to read. So awesome. Um This is from James 1. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. I know you mentioned that one. Mm -hmm. Um, The rest of these are from James 2. My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. No, generous Lord, not this Lord, our generous Lord, Jesus Christ. If someone comes to you in your meeting, wearing a gold ring, dressed in fine clothes and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes comes in. If you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place. And yet you say to the poor person, "Mm, sit over there or sit here on the floor by my footstool. And yet, oh goodness, I lost my place. This text is very small. 
if you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place. And yet you say to the poor person, sit over there or sit here on the floor by my footstool. Haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? And yet you have dishonored the poor. Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such a faith save him? If a brother or sister without clothes is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm, be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith if it does not have works, is dead by itself. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So for me, this makes really clear the answer. And he even mentions the, the greatest commandment, loving your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. This answers that question of what does it look like to love my neighbor? Mm -hmm. It means practical and spiritual are if not equally important one might even argue that physical things are sometimes more important because in this story you have somebody giving a spiritual answer to a practical problem and James says that's dead yeah so like it has to be partnered together and um, because even when, because I was really taught, like it's the spiritual stuff that matters most and all the physical stuff can sometimes build relationships to the spiritual, but the physical stuff doesn't actually matter. It's a mm -hmm. mean to an end. Mm -hmm. And that just seems so opposite <laughs> of what it I is. see in the gospels. It seems so opposite of what I see in James. Um, and so James just makes it really clear for me that loving my neighbors is practical care for those who are oppressed and anything that divorces the spirit from what is physical is dead. So, mm -hmm. um, okay. Uh, Lydia, what about the life and words of Jesus inspire you most regarding loving our neighbors? Well, I think one of the things that inspires me most, and this is something we kind of haven't touched on so much, is Jesus' mm -hmm. actual lifestyle when he was on this earth. Yeah. Like Jesus, there there was a group up in up in Branson that did uh, work with the homeless, and they their the name of the group was called Jesus Was Homeless, and they mm. changed their name, but I loved that name so much because it was mind-blowing and the knowledge that jesus truly was homeless he was very clear when he's talking to his disciples about his work that it was never about power or money mm -hmm. and he he says in matthew 8 20 he's actually telling a disciple someone who wants to be his disciple he says 
the foxes have holes and the birds have nests. Mm-hmm, but the son mm-hmm. of man doesn't mm-hmm. have a place to lay his head. Like mm-hmm. he's telling him, I'm, I don't even have a house, dude. Yeah. What do you want from me? <laughs> you know? And then, and then when he's sending his disciples out, he makes sure two things. He tells them, you know, that they're to heal the sick and raise the dead and cleanse mm-hmm. those with leprosy, drive out the demons. And he says very specifically, freely you have received, freely give. He mm-hmm. was giving them a command not to monetize the gospel, not to make money off of what they were doing for him. Now, mm-hmm. he did not mean don't, don't, you know, take for care for yourself, right? Because he goes mm-hmm. on and he says, don't take any gold or silver or copper to take with you. Don't take money and put it into your belt or your pockets back then. No bag for your journey. Not They weren't even supposed to take an extra shirt, sandal, or staff. Just what they had on their back. And he, But he says the worker is worthy of his keep. Jesus' design for the church was to be that they would go into a place and that they would live with people, that they would be an assistant to whatever, whoever they were working with is not mm-hmm. to come in and put their feet up and be all serve me, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. type of thing. But they also weren't to make money off of what they were doing. I don't see that in our Christian circles today. You know, I mean, our pastor, you know, I grew up, you're either on one side or the other with this almost it feels like you're either so poor that the pastor has to work two or three jobs to feed his family while he's trying to do the work of the lord or they're opulent and the pastor Mm -hmm. is driving a mercedes and you know all of those things and so i think i think we we swing from one side to the other with this and we need to find that happy medium where we're making sure that we're caring for the needs of our pastors and we're caring for the laborers, but that we remind ourselves that the laborers, that their, our message is not about making money. You know, it's not about monetizing the gospel and the things Mm. that we do. And so that was really important. And then we were looking, you've mentioned this a couple of times was that our work is about whatever we do for the poor in our community, whatever we do for the homeless, whatever we do for the orphans or, you know, the oppressed, we're doing it to Jesus. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that Matthew 25, 45 and 46 says, then they will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And he will answer them saying, Truly, I say to you, as you did not do to one of the least of these, you did not do it unto me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So every time we're turning our back on our neighbors, every time we are creating laws that make it difficult for people to get assistance, that make it difficult for families to come to our our shores who come to our shores seeking help and refuge every time we make those decisions we are turning our back on jesus we are Mm -hmm. literally turning our back on jesus and jesus says that that is going to be what determines our eternal 
destiny. And that mm-hmm. by making those choices now, we are choosing eternal punishment. And, you know, so that that's an interesting, you know, it's not about, oh, I believe in Jesus. And I did many good things in your name. You know, there's another place where Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. Mm-hmm. You know, and so these this ministry and how we decide to work with with those that are the least of these is how we mm-hmm. are treating Jesus and how much we love Jesus. And I think mm-hmm. that is that is where my inspiration lands. Um, you know, and then of course looking at um, if we're if we're wanting to see how do we love, like you said, we look at James, we can also look at first John where he tells us if we can't love our brother who we've seen and this is not talking about christian brothers and sisters i'm i'm right i get really frustrated with churches yes to say Mm -hmm. well my brother so it only means i have to treat christians Mm -hmm. no jesus was very (laughs) specific and this is this is they use the word brothers as in our human right Mm-hmm. If you can't love the people who you have, you see, if you can't love that person on the street corner, you don't love God, mm-hmm. you know? And so, and that's what Jesus is saying. If you cannot love the tr- transgendered person, if you cannot love, and this does not mean tough love, this does not mean yeah. cutting them out of your life because because you disagree with them the bible says (laughs) the The most loving thing i can do is to kick my gay child out of my home so that they go and be homeless lydia that's the most loving thing i can do yeah um what do you have to say about that Um, i have a lot of things i could say about that (laughs) i have a lot of things to say about that too um first send me a message privately we can chat i have a lot of things to say First Corinthians 13 says, love right. is patient, love is kind, mm-hmm. love does not envy yes. or boast, is not arrogant or rude, does not insist on its own way, is not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things love Mm -hmm. never ends Mm -hmm. yeah that love never ends um pushing a child away kicking out a gay child and making them homeless is not showing them the love of christ i don't care Mm -hmm. what you think you're doing Mm -hmm. it's not doing it if you are disassociating from someone because of a behavior that they and, and I want to make a distinction here. There's a difference in putting boundaries up towards abusive mm-hmm. behavior and saying, I will no longer allow you to continue to abuse me and say, I have to put a boundary here. I still love you, but your actions are physically or emotionally harming me. And I need mm-hmm. to put distance between us. There's a difference in putting up healthy boundaries and going and saying 
to your child that you will no longer associate with them because they believe that they are trans. Mm -hmm. Whether or not you agree with what you're doing by disassociating with them, you're leaving them open to where the only people who care about and support them are the people who are going to encourage that behavior. And is that what you want? That's how I try to talk to people about it. Um, it's not, you, you wanna be loving in how you approach it. If you disagree with their behavior, sure, have those conversations, but do so in a loving manner, mm -hmm. in a way that is going to say, you know, I'm being patient with you. I'm not boasting or arrogant or rude. I'm not insisting mm -hmm. on my own way. Mm -hmm. Not being resentful because you're making me look bad as a parent, mm -hmm. you know, because that's a that's where a lot of that comes from when we really look down deep into why we're reacting that way. Well, what are people going to think about me if I yeah. allow my child to stay in my home or what, whatever mm -hmm. that situation is? But it's a yeah, it's more about us and about how it reflects on us as parents than it is about mm -hmm. that. And that wasn't going to where I was planning on going mm. with this, but it kind of went that way. And, and I think that it's important for us to recognize that loving, loving them and staying in their life is important. Mm -hmm. And it, that's what Jesus would have done. He would mm -hmm. have stayed with them. He didn't push the woman caught in adultery away. Mm -hmm. No one ever told, tells us how she responded. Mm -hmm. The scripture doesn't say, but he cared about her and he opened his heart to her and he kept mm -hmm. working with her. The lady at the well, mm -hmm. he talked with her and spent time with her and he would have continued spending time with her even if she had disagreed with him, I believe. But mm -hmm. if we can't love those in our, in our lives and in our neighborhoods that are homosexual that are transgender if we can't love our own children mm -hmm. our own siblings then according to john we don't love god mm -hmm. and yeah love does not push people away in a hateful manner and it doesn't say you know i can't be around you because you're different because you're sinning mm -hmm. um i think i think we should compare this to you know how we feel about people who get divorced or people who mm -hmm. who remarry maybe we maybe we disagree or maybe you know we disagree with how they should have handled things mm -hmm. we have different parenting styles we have different ideas about how we should do things mm -hmm. and it's fine to disagree on that but we have to make sure that we're disagreeing in a loving manner, that we're mm -hmm. giving them benefit of the doubt, number one, and number two, reminding them that we care, mm -hmm. that it's not, you know, you don't have to be perfect for me to love you. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think I kinda... also it comes down to that, like, we think that loving someone is controlling them into not sinning. And I want to be really clear. I don't think being queer is a sin. I know a lot of people who do that is a like, I would be happy to have that conversation privately. That's not like what this video is about by any means, but, um, <laughs> I'm sure we'll get to that video at some point. Right. Yeah, I'm sure we will. 
Um, but like, so even if I, there are things that I do think are sins. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, <laughs> Jesus doesn't say love your neighbor unless your neighbor is living in a lifestyle that you think is sinful. Mm-hmm. Like that isn't what it says. It doesn't right. say love your neighbor by controlling them into living the kind of life that you agree with. Because the truth is like, there are lots of Christians who do things that I personally think are a sin. Mm-hmm. I think Christian nationalism is a sin. I know several Christians and I don't think ev- like, I also want to be clear. I don't think that like, <laughs> Some people are like, all Republicans are Christian nationalists. I don't believe that at all. Mm. I do think Christian nationalism is a thing. I think it's a sin, but I will still pray with someone that Mm. holds to that kind of ideology. I will still give them meals when they have a baby. I will, you know, teach their children. I will, you know, all the things Mm -hmm. I'm not going to, and I probably won't even look at their face and be like, don't you know you're living in sin? Repent. Like that just isn't, but I think that's what we do with a lot of people. We're like, we would, we think that our love is controlling them into being Christians the way that we see being Christians as the right thing. And don't get me wrong. Like I understand deep convictions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a lot of them, but mm-hmm. I don't hold other people to my convictions. Mm-hmm. I will discuss them. Mm-hmm. I will you know, um, be very passionate about them. (laughs) Imagine that. Imagine being passionate about something. (laughs) So out of character. Um, I mean, I will be clear and say like, yeah, I think the death penalty is a sin. You know, Mm -hmm. like I will, I will be honest about those things. I don't lead with that. Mm -hmm. Right. I don't mm-hmm. go up to Christians that I know support the death penalty and be like, you awful sinner, repent. Mm-hmm. I think that's just as much of a sin as lots and lots of people think, whatever they want to call it, being homosexual or same-sex attracted or like whatever words you want to use for it. Plenty, like, I think, you know, I think there's, I think things are sins just as much as other people think things are sins. We just might not agree on what those things are. Mm -hmm. And so like, (laughs) we don't like, and I, other than with like religious people who are oppressing other people, Mm -hmm. Jesus doesn't lead with people's sins. Right. The only times he like really dives into that is with people who were oppressing other people. Mm -hmm. Right. That's, that's it. And Mm so I, I guess, if I were in a situation where I saw somebody actively oppressing someone, like if I saw somebody, I don't know, being a Nazi in World War II, rounding up Jewish people to go put them in concentration camps. Yeah. I'd be like, you're doing a sin and you need to stop in the name of Jesus because you like, I would have a lot more intense of a conversation with that person mm-hmm. than people who are sinning, but not um, oppressing other people by their sin because we, like, we all sin. I sin. Right. Right. So like, I'm not, (laughs) 
yeah, I had this conversation once with, with one of my sister-in-laws and she was like, so if they're not hurting anybody, it's not sent. And I'm like, no, that's no. not the point. That, that's right. not the idea. Like, I believe mm-hmm. there are things that are sin that don't hurt anyone else. Like, I mean, Jesus even says like, our thoughts are sinful. Mm-hmm. Like if we think, if they, if you look at a woman and think about lust, you know, and you're lusting mm-hmm, after mm-hmm. her and you're, yeah. you're having those, not just that initial, oh, reaction that, oh, gosh, she looks pretty, mm-hmm. you know, but you're like dwelling on it and you're right. Lusting. All I can think of is this really attractive lady I thought a while undressing and her and I, in your mind might go, and I might go and kill her husband in a battle so I can have her for myself. <laughs> like I'm thinking <laughs> right. about that maybe. <laughs> right, right. You know, or undressing her in your mind or doing those sure. things, you know, Jesus says that's just as bad as right. the physical action of doing that that hating your brother is just as bad as Mm -hmm. killing your brother so jesus you know jesus takes those those lines and he makes them very firm like he's very Mm -hmm. he takes it to where it's not the actual harm that you're doing it's the thought behind it so i totally agree that you can sin without ever harming another human being Mm -hmm. but a lot of times there are things that aren't I feel aren't a hundred percent clear in scripture, sure. you know, um, divorce and remarriage is one of those things because they didn't have divorce the way we have it now. Homosexuality can be one of those things because they didn't have homosexuality the way we have it today. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of differences and a lot of nuances to get into with that. Mm-hmm. And like I said, we'll probably get into those at a later date. But the fact that they're not physically harming anyone else gives me a little bit of room and gives me a little bit of grace Mm -hmm. to say, I might disagree with you on that, but I'm going to give you grace and allow God to work on your heart and decide what, Mm -hmm. what is right and wrong in that situation. And that happens in community. Right. It happens in community. It happens in having conversations like these where we're saying you know hey i kind of disagree with you on that but if we get to the point where we're talking about people who are being white nationalists who are storming the capital and (laughs) harming physically harming people you know then we have a conversation and they're talking about they're talking about harming people because of their race or because of their political disagreements and how, Mm -hmm. you know, we should hang or shoot or do these things to these people because they don't do what I want them to do. Mm -hmm. Then we're having, we need to have further conversations about those and be like more bold and say, you know Mm -hmm. what? Jesus didn't endorse this. Jesus wouldn't endorse this. You cannot have Mm -hmm. a Jesus saves banner flying alongside a hangman's news for the vice president sorry, it doesn't work yeah. that way. You know, mm-hmm. that's not what, who Jesus is. Yeah. And so, you know, I think it, it's important to have those conversations about, you know, where we draw the line as far as, and I agree with you on, you know, drawing the line of where, where the, um, oh shoot, can't think, where it is that we emphasize and we're really strong and we're really bold against things and that's where where it comes that those Mm -hmm. actions are harming some actively harming yeah 
And I think the rest of it, like if you're not active, you know, actively harming other people, actively oppressing people, you know, where we would have to say like, hey, stop immediately mm-hmm. because you're harming other people. The rest of it really comes down to am I harming myself? Mm-hmm. Right. Because I think the reason why Jesus says your thoughts can be just as bad as the actions is because what you think about changes you, mm-hmm. what you meditate on changes you. Mm-hmm. And so the rest of it, the sin that isn't harming other people is sin that harms ourselves. Mm. And, and I think the way that like those things really get changed in people, like, so addicts, for example, if you're an addict, you're in like this, we, what we're seeing in science. So this isn't just like pages belief, but like what you see in science is that the solution to addiction is community. Mm -hmm. And so if you really see people struggling with the, and I I also want to say, I don't think being an addict is a sin. Let's just, I also, I, I just, I'll say that. I think that is like a medical thing. So I, I don't want that. I know we're talking about sin and I've just used that. And so I just want to be clear. Um, but I do think that it's a good example of like behavior that harms yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, addiction hurts you like, <laughs> otherwise it wouldn't be a problem. Right. Um, and that can be whether you're addicted to meth or whether you're addicted to chocolate. Sure. Yes. You know, a variant. There are, there are of, very permissible addictions that we have that are in our churches that Mm -hmm. you know the addiction to sodas and sugars Mm -hmm. and all of those things can be just as detrimental to your body long term yeah as a meth addiction so yeah so just point that out that yeah but like equal and different (laughs) yeah the solution to things that harm ourselves is community. And that's, I think why Christian community is so emphasized in the scriptures, because I think the Lord knows what is true about our biology because Mm -hmm. he created us to have community. And that in community is where a lot of these maladaptive behaviors or sins or like whatever you want to call it, like those things are, are, um, healed in community. Mm-hmm. Those, I mean, scientifically, I think it's, I'm sure people would disagree with me, but from my understanding, scientifically, you cannot heal from addiction on your own. And I don't mm-hmm. think you can heal from sin on your own. I think it has to be done in community. And so mm-hmm. I think all of what you said is really good. I think that so often, you know, for people who think, you know, being gay is a sin. It's like, I can't associate with somebody who is sinning. Okay. Do you associate with humans? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Do you, you're a person who sins. Like, so it's like those things I think are more about our culture than about like the actual theology of sin. Mm -hmm. So absolutely. um, Yeah. So um, for me, As far as like the words of Jesus, um, I think similarly to some of what we've already said, but like Jesus has a lot to say about my two questions, who is my neighbor and what is love, right? Mm -hmm. Um, 
as far as who is my neighbor, he answers very clearly in multiple passages, but especially in the passage of the Good Samaritan that we started with. The answer is my neighbor is my enemy. Mm-hmm. The Samaritan was their enemy. It was mm. the Samaritan was their racial enemy, their cultural enemy, and their religious enemy. Mm-hmm. And so when Jesus answers the question, who is my enemy? And he says this in other places, like love your enemies. It's my neighbor is my enemy. (laughs) And I think what that means is like up into, so oftentimes like in, in Jewish thought and like literature, it's like you say two things and it's a spectrum. And so how I understand that is like my, it's everyone from myself all the way to my enemy, right? It's that whole Mm. spectrum of people. Like that is my neighbor up into even my enemy, Mm. not only my enemy, (laughs) but up into my enemy. And so, you know, in other passages, it's, you know, Matthew 25, which you mentioned, my neighbor is the oppressed and the poor. Like Mm -hmm. Jesus is clear on who my neighbor is. It's the least of these. It's my enemy. It's, it's humans. Like humanity Mm. is my neighbor. We, We say this a lot with, with the middle schoolers. I'm a Sunday school teacher. And when we talk about loving our neighbor, you know, we we do these little back and forth, like, who is my neighbor? Humans, Mm -hmm. (laughs) humanity. Um, If there are aliens, they are also our neighbors. And so it's, we have not, we've not gotten into aliens. I try and stay away from that just for brevity sake. I bet we would, (laughs) I bet that would just open a whole can of worms that, um, would be really cute to explore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but like, and that's just to say that like, we see, we often see our neighbors as like people we see worthy, Mm -hmm. but I think like over and over and over again, you know, even in the passage, like Jesus saying, you know, they're like, but we did all these things in your name. And Jesus is like, I never knew you. And I wonder if when Jesus says like what you do to the least of these, it's as though you're doing it to me. It's because all people are made in the image of God. We all have that spark of divinity inside of us. Mm -hmm. And so I just wonder if like those people that Jesus is saying, I've never met you. What he's really saying is I've never met you in you caring for the poor. I've never met you in you caring for the widow. I've never met you in caring for the oppressed, you know, like we meet Mm -hmm. Jesus in the divinity of other people. Mm -hmm. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, and so who is my neighbor humanity Mm -hmm. (laughs) up into my active enemy? Mm -hmm. Um, like that is just pretty clear to me. And then, so what is love? I have said this before, but I used to think that love was controlling people love is demanding, love is scary, um, love is forceful. Those are things that I would have said. Mm-hmm. Um, but love and God's love, I would, I used to think like, it's just, it's, it's not understandable. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason I thought that is because <laughs> we look at love and I understand what it means to, I think I understand what it means to love here. 
But then so often we would talk about God as love, but then also doing all these things that don't actually seem loving. Mm -hmm. And so then you get into this like weird knot where you're like, well, yeah, God is love, but it's like a different love that we don't really understand that sometimes also looks really terrible and mean and awful. So Mm -hmm. mm, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And as I've really started to unpack that, I mean, I just think that what we have we've attributed some really terrible things to the love of God Mm -hmm. as humans. Yep. But I don't see that that's what Jesus says. (laughs) I don't see that what Jesus says is that God's love is this weird, controlling, dominating, scary thing. Um, in Matthew seven, Jesus is talking, um, to his disciples and he says, who among you, if his son asked him for bread would give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, would give him a snake. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do the same for them. For this is the law and the prophets. And so... Like, this is clear. We know what love looks like. This Mm -hmm. is Jesus saying to us, you know what love looks like. Even you who are evil, you know what love looks like. Mm -hmm. It's not kicking your kid out. Right. You know what love looks like. But so often I hear preachers and teachers saying, no, you don't know what love looks like. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Love is actually something we can't understand because sometimes we attribute things that are not loving to God. And mm-hmm. we say, well, well, God's love is just mysterious. It's like God's love is mysterious, but it's mysteriously good. It's not mysteriously evil. Oh, very good. Very. Like words mean something. And so mm-hmm. when we say like, well, God is love, except it's a love that you actually wouldn't be love if you did it to your kid. <laughs> right? Like, yeah, that isn't love. That's like mm-hmm. Jesus says, like, we understand what love looks like. Mm-hmm. We understand what it looks like to be a good parent. Mm-hmm. And so when we start saying love is something that actually is evil, we need to really take a pause. Mm-hmm. We really need to, to take a pause and say, I mean, I've heard this so many times, Lydia, like we do something that is awful Mm -hmm. and we say it because, well, we're just showing the love of God Mm -hmm. because we're punishing someone or we're, I mean, I have literally heard of like the death penalty being justified as a loving thing. Mm -hmm. And I know people probably listening to this who might agree with that. Mm -hmm. And I would just say, is killing your child loving? I don't think so. And if we can understand that it's not loving to kill our child, I think we can understand. And again, this is my opinion. And I know lots Mm. of people are going to disagree with me. And I'm very used to that. I'm very used to people disagreeing with me. And so feel free. Yeah. It's a safe place to think I'm wrong. But for me, like, I just have to go back to like, we know what love is. Jesus is 
like Jesus used words, words matter, words have definitions. So you can't just use a word and then say it really means something opposite of what it is. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't look like how I would love my child and it doesn't align, you know, with first Corinthians 13, mm-hmm. nowhere in there does in first Corinthians 13, does it say that love is, you know, demeaning or love is controlling or love is, um, scary or love is frightening or love, you know, like yeah. I used to think God's love was all of those things. I was terrified mm-hmm. of God. And so I, I think there's I a think, certain degree of fear. Sure. Yeah. Awe that we should have for yes. God. Um, yes. I mean, yes, he's our father and yes, he's but there is that sense of power and that knowledge that he is so much more as well. And mm-hmm. you, you can go along with the idea of um, C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite authors, Christian authors, and his just depiction of Aslan is, mm-hmm. you know, he's very, is he tame? No, but he is good. Yeah, you know, he's, and the he's, knowledge that he's not he, safe, but he's good. Yeah. Yeah, he's not safe, but he's good. He's not tame. He's not a he's not a tame lion. And he, he's not necessarily safe, but he is good. And that means yes. he's going to use that power for good mm-hmm. in, in whatever think, situation you're in. And so yeah. I think two context matters for Mm-hmm. or um for that that thought about loving your children um there there's some things that I could come back to with that and I hope we get a chance to discuss mm-hmm. you know, how that looks like on a different day because we're probably way over time people aren't gonna hang out with us anymore we keep yeah. having two-hour conversations but um I just but but you know I do agree with you as well I think we do have that knowledge that of what love, what a loving parent looks like and what Mm -hmm. that looks like. And we can understand that and translate that to God and know that God is loving because Mm -hmm. we know how to be loving parents. And even those of us who had poor parenting, Mm -hmm. we still know what we wanted from a loving parent. We still know what good parenting somewhat looks like and we can find that and through the distortion you know sometimes we don't see that you know Mm -hmm. people who've been abused you know if that's all they know Mm -hmm. they don't always know what good parenting looks like yeah but you can't you can come to a point where somebody shows that to you and you're like oh but that can also distort our view of god because if Mm -hmm. we're raised in a culture that says this is what love looks like and it's not Mm -hmm. you know then we have that dissonance when we're reading the bible and we're trying to connect with that and i think that's part of what led me on my journey was because there was a dissonance between what i was taught love was and what the bible says love is Mm -hmm. and so i started digging deeper to find out what does the bible say about these things and seeing those things and learning about love and what love really looks like and how that's a really compassion and caring for someone, like physically mm-hmm. caring for them, not just, yeah. you know, physically and emotionally caring for their needs is, is what love is. And we can't justify, like you were saying, justify hate and anger 
and call it love. It doesn't work that way. And that the idea yeah. that loving the sin or hating the sin and loving the sinner, that doesn't work. It's a, it causes cognitive dissonance. The, you know, yeah. you can't say you hate that thing that they're, you can't separate the person from the thing that they do mm-hmm. and yes. still love them the same. And so saying you, you can't do that. It's physically impossible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Psychologically I, impossible, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And I think part of like relating it back to parenting, like when I say that, like, we know what love looks like, and sometimes we call something that isn't love, love. I don't mean that like there is like, God doesn't just like, let us hurt other people. Mm-hmm. You know, like that isn't, and I think that is where it comes to like, is he good? Yes. But he isn't safe because God calls us to self-sacrificial love. Mm-hmm. And he also call and like, so as a parent, like if your kid is like, hurting someone else you're gonna do something about it Mm. because that's love (laughs) right but when we start saying that things you know like control and domination and you know things that we just you know I've heard just a lot of a lot of things that or even people you know, calling things that are abusive love, Mm -hmm. you know, like that is where I challenge the definition of love, not in like discipline or, you know, things like that, because I don't think that God just lets us run wild. (laughs) Right, right, right. Absolutely. But he doesn't do things that are evil. He doesn't, you know, like when we start to twist- Yeah, when we start to twist this like definition of what is love and it just- if you translate that to parenting, it would just be monstrous. Mm -hmm. Like that, you know, like, I think we really have to start challenging, like, is that really love? Because Mm -hmm. not that love means you get to do whatever you want. Not that love is all this like mushy, gushy stuff. Like that is by no means what I mean. Mm -hmm. If you're oppressing someone, God is, God has something to say about that. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. if you're, if you're doing evil, God has something to say about that. And so it's, I, I don't think it's just this love that is just a free wild card of, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I do think that when, when love starts to turn into this like divine monster, we really have to start asking some questions. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, what is love? It is goodness it's sacrificing for the benefit Mm. of someone else. It's giving myself for the sake of others. And like, that's what God has done for Mm. us. So, um, yeah, I think, I think going back to, if we look at, I did a study once on first Corinthians 13 and compared Mm -hmm. it to Galatians eight, where it talks about the, or rather Galatians five, sorry, where it talks about the fruit of the spirit. Mm -hmm. And because I was reading and it kind of caught my attention that these are kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. So if you look at it, the fruit of the spirit is love. Uh-huh. Period. Well, God cool is love. Stop. Uh-huh. <laughs> cool stop because mm-hmm. forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of those things are the depictions of love. Yes. 
patient and kind, not envy or boastful. That falls under all of those things. Yes. So when we're looking at this, God is love. The fruit of his spirit is love. Joy and peace follow after because we are living in a way that is kind and good and faithful and we have self-control and we're gentle with other people and we give grace mm-hmm. and mercy. And the cool thing about, about what Galatians says is that against such, there is no law. Mm-hmm. There is no law that can, that has ever been made or will ever be made that will prevent you from living out the fruit of the spirit. People Mm -hmm. often say, you know, get worried about, oh, they're gonna, you know, take my my ability to to live as a Christian away. Mm -hmm. That might take away your ability to go to church and have an Mm -hmm. outward display of Christianity, but they can never take away your ability to love to have joy, to have peace, to be forbearing with someone, to be gentle, to have, Mm -hmm. to treat others with kindness and goodness. Mm -hmm. They, they can't take away your self-control. Only you can do that. Mm -hmm. And so they're never going, there's never going to be a time where Christianity, the, the true belief, the fruit of the spirit is going to be outlawed. Mm-hmm. Cause they won't yeah. because even mm-hmm. non-believers want these things. Even mm-hmm. non-believers know that it's good to be kind to our neighbors. It's good to mm-hmm. be forbearing, mm-hmm. you know, it's good to be patient and, and, you know, have self-control. Mm-hmm. And so I yeah. think, you know, that's a, that's a good way to kind of bring this. And if that isn't what our love looks like, we have a problem. Exactly. If this is not what our love looks like, if the bio, if the biblical version mm-hmm. of love, if gentleness and self-control and all of these things is not what love your love looks like, then maybe it's not love. Mm-hmm. And it's Jesus, right? Like Jesus mm-hmm. is God with skin on. He shows us right. what God is like. Mm-hmm. And so for Jesus, that means turning over tables when religious people are oppressing people. Mm-hmm. Right? right. But that also means coming up to a woman in the middle of her sin where she could rightfully be stoned to death and saying, you know, providing protection. He could mm-hmm. have, he would, he had all the right to judge her for her sin. He had all the right to tell her about how it harms herself and others when she, you know, what, whatever he had mm-hmm. all of the right to give a lecture to to what, like he, he had every right to do that. And yet the way he chose to love that woman is by saving her life and freeing her. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think, you know, like when we start to wonder what God's love looks like, it, it looks like Jesus. Mm-hmm. It looks like the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of love it looks like first Corinthians 13. Mm-hmm. And so I think our culture has done a lot more to shape what love looks like. Can you hear my dog? He's just having a fit. Um, like love, like God shows us what love looks like. And we often try and use our culture to distort it. And we're like, you know, mm-hmm. we have all these reasons. We have really mm-hmm. good reasons and mm-hmm. we make it sound really good. 
-hmm. we make treating people horribly seem like love. Mm -hmm. It's more loving for me to not fund this homeless person's supposed alcohol addiction. That is what is loving for them. And that you, mm -hmm. like, you know, cause we presuppose, well, of course this homeless person has an alcohol addiction. Mm -hmm. Otherwise <laughs> they wouldn't be on the street. Yeah. Right. But never, but we, never looking yeah. back into what caused the alcohol addiction, you know, what mm -hmm. pain and what suffering are they trying to cover with that? Can we address the pain and the suffering that mm -hmm. would ultimately lead to their being free from that alcohol addiction yeah we can't we just, demand that they give up the bottle before we address the issue behind it mm -hmm. yeah you know. and not to mention that like plenty of homeless people aren't addicted to alcohol <laughs> right right <laughs> we make these assumptions about people as reasons why we shouldn't why, right, right, you know, right. love for them looks different than what Jesus said. And we're like, what's the most loving thing we can do to actually not do what Jesus said? And yeah. I, I just think we have to evaluate that. And so, mm. um, yeah, I think we have said a lot about what it looks like <laughs> to love our neighbor. And I know these things are really going to come up over time, but mm. I think this is a really good foundation for as we continue to move into specific topics where really what we're talking about is how do we love our neighbor? Right. These right. are things I think that we're going to come back to. Yeah. I, I think that's really true. You know, we're looking at this as, as a foundation for the next, you know, several weeks, several times that we get together where we're going to say, you know, what does this look like in reality for us? You know, when we're, mm -hmm. when we're addressing specific issues that the church has to address, that the government has to address, that all of these different areas have to address and what role does the church and the government play mm -hmm. working side by side or working separately you know what roles do they play in these in these scenarios and how do we move forward and make this about loving our neighbor rather mm -hmm. than insisting on being right about something yeah absolutely all right, this is our second conversation. Do you have anything else you want to add? I don't think so. I think we've we've covered a lot. I mean, we've so. said a lot, yeah. Um, well, I'm so glad that we were able to have this second conversation. Up next is the conversation on women's equality. Um, but yeah, see you guys soon. All right, bye, bye everybody. Everyone. Thank you for joining us in this latest episode of Tough Topics, conversations where faith and politics collide. We're so glad that you're here in this little weird corner of the internet where my friend Lydia and I get to have these amazing conversations. And we hope that our conversations spur you to have these kinds of meaningful conversations in your own lives. Thank you so much for being here. You can subscribe in your favorite podcast application, anywhere that you get podcasts. You can also subscribe on YouTube to see the videos as soon as they come out. You can do that using the link in our show notes. Thank you again for being here. Have a great week.